Hi, my friend. I hope you have been finding this podcast helpful. Well, I have some good news for you. I have created the Decoding Obesity community just for you. This is a safe and judgment-free space for finding the accountability you need so that you can get started on your weight loss journey right away. And it's completely free. So head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to sign up. I'll see you in the community. This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. I hope you're enjoying my podcast. If you haven't subscribed to my podcast yet, hit the subscribe button to get notified of the latest episodes. I have another amazing guest with me today sharing her story. Let's hear from her. Welcome, Nisa. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. So this is so great. You know, you've kind of done certain things in your life and you've had a lot of experience with different diets. So it's great that we're going to dive into all of this because I'm sure a lot of people have had this kind of an experience in their lives as well. The first question that I usually ask my guests is, when did your weight really become an issue for you? Um, yeah, so I have had a very long history of diets. So I actually probably started gaining weight around the time my parents got divorced, which I was like six or seven. But you know, at that age, you don't really know a lot about it. I didn't know a lot about it. But I probably started to notice that I was gaining weight around age 12. And that was because I actually went to a physical for cheerleading. And the doctor said that my cholesterol was too high. I was obviously overweight. And he actually sent me to a nutritionist. And so I went to the nutritionist and she taught me how to, it was the 90s. So she taught me how to cut fat from my diet and how to eat smaller portion sizes with more healthy carbs. And she also taught me to replace like the sugary sodas I was drinking with artificial sweeteners, diet drinks, stuff I no longer do, but that's how I got started. All right. And uh, what do you think caused this weight to go out of control for you? There's a ton. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I've actually learned as I've gotten older that I'm still dealing with now. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I was living in a house that had hidden mold. So that can definitely cause waking. I didn't know it, but I had a ton of health symptoms. But I think what I mostly attribute it to is years of yo-yo dieting because I started trying to diet around age 12. And I always mostly followed the calories in versus calories out method. Pretty much no matter what diet I tried, it was always based around calories in versus calories out. So always trying to get my calories lower, always trying to exercise more. I think that's the biggest thing that stood in my way of sustainable weight loss was trying to get it lower and it was just lowering my metabolism and none of it was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned that you had uh, you know tried several things. So what all did you really try and what how did it impact your overall psyche with regards to weight loss? 
So like I said, I started around age 12 and the first that I tried was Slim Fast because that's what my parents bought. They had it in the house. And also when I went on babysitting, there's always Slim Fast shakes in the fridge and they actually tasted kind of good. Like they were chocolatey. So I thought if I could just drink a Slim Fast shake, like they said, and then eat what I wanted the rest of the day that I would lose weight. It does not work that way. (laughs) So I started with Slim Fast. I tried that on and off for years. I did all of the big weight loss programs, including Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, LA Weight Loss. I even tried low carb like Atkins all the way back in the late 90s. And like I said, most of the diets that I've tried, even though I've done so many on and off, are all based around calories, trying to burn more calories than I was taking in. You know, I would lose weight with all of these approaches, but the problem was the weight was never sustainable. I would lose it, and then I'd go back to my normal eating patterns, which was a lot of junk food, a lot of fast food and processed foods, and then all of the weight would quickly return. And I followed the same pattern of like losing and regaining the same 50 pounds for at least two decades. Wow. Yeah. And you know, this is one thing that I always tell people is that when you're trying to lose weight, it's like putting your obesity into remission. It's not like curing it because when you make these changes, you have to find something that's going to be sustainable for your life, which will keep this obesity at bay. Because if you go back to your old habits, it is going to come back. Yeah. And I had a really strong junk food addiction fast food. I I lived in Chicago at the time and there's fast food places around every corner and just all the processed foods. Like once you're in that addiction, it's really hard to quit and it's really hard to eat real food because, you know, all of those sugars and chemicals are all very addicting. And who wants to eat real food when you could have the highly processed stuff that is (laughs) scientifically engineered for us to keep wanting more? That's very interesting because I've actually done a couple of episodes on hyperpalatable foods and food addiction and how they impact your brain. There's very real science behind all of this. And there's a reason why these foods have been engineered the way they have been. And so it's important to understand that we really need to kind of eat real foods when you're trying to get to a healthier self, just like you found out. So what really changed? I mean, you had tried so many diets And then what really clicked with you? What changed? Because you tried everything, right? You tried Atkins, you tried Slim Fast, you tried everything that you possibly could find on earth. So what changed? Yeah, like I said, I've been on a diet since age 12. And then after I had my first pregnancy, um, when I started my pregnancy, I was at my highest weight that I ever allowed myself to get to, which was like right around 180. Then I got pregnant and you know, I was a pregnant person. I dieted for so long. I was so strict with myself that while I was pregnant, I wanted to enjoy life and eat all the junk food, even though that's not how healthy pregnancy goes. But I ended up gaining a lot of weight. By the time I ended my pregnancy, I was 245 pounds, a weight that I had never seen before. Like I'd never gone past 180 really. So I was 245 pounds. But not only that, during pregnancy, not only was I eating all this junk food, but I was also an older mom. I I think I was 34 when I had my first son. And so I developed gestational diabetes. And so I actually had to take insulin while I was pregnant, which was really scary. And then the doctors told me that if I didn't clean up my diet after I had the baby, that I would be diabetic within 10 years. And so, you know, now I'm this new mom and I'd always obsessed about dieting. It always consumed my life. But once you're a mom, you don't have time to worry about, you know, counting calories and measuring portion sizes and over-exercise because you have a baby to take care of. So I hit this place where I could no longer obsess about diets, but I couldn't just ignore the fact that I was 245 pounds and on my way to being diabetic. So 
I had to finally find something that was healthy, something that I wouldn't obsess over and something that was sustainable. So I wouldn't have to keep doing the obsessing. And once I weighed 245 pounds, I didn't recognize myself. Like I didn't recognize the body I was in. It was such a weird experience because I'd look in the mirror and I'd see these arms and like, I didn't know who they belonged to because, you know, I, I'd never been at that place before. But once I got back to dieting, I tried all of my old methods, Weight Watchers, counting calories, exercising, and none of it was working. Nothing was working. I was doing everything right. And I kept losing and regaining the same three to four pounds for over six months. And at the end of that six month period, I had diabetic blood sugar levels still. Oh, I was wow. in like the 130 to 140 range, which was scary because the doctor told me I had 10 years to clean it up. And, you know, it was six months later and I was still struggling. So definitely the fear of becoming diabetic, everything hurt. My body was so inflamed and I was having like all these inflammation issues. I would try to go for walks and it just hurt to walk. It hurt to stand up. So there's a lot of things that clicked and, you know, finally led up to me finding something that was sustainable, but also healthier much healthier than counting calories. <laughs> right. And was your primary goal to kind of gain overall health or was it primarily to lose weight? Because a lot of times what happens is people try to have this certain number in their mind when they're trying to lose weight, that they want to get to an X amount of weight. But that may or may not be a realistic goal for them. Did you have any issues like that where you had an X amount of weight and then you didn't lose that weight and then you got you know despondent and just went back? Did any of that happen to you? So before, when I yo-yo dieted for 20 years, I always had a set number in my mind. I always wanted to weigh like around 145. I'm somewhere between 5'7 and 5'8. So 145 is a normal range for me. But when I weighed 245 pounds, like the thought of losing 100 pounds didn't even seem realistic. I didn't even know how that would even happen. So basically, like, I just wanted to lose weight. I didn't have a number. Like, I just didn't want to look in the mirror and not recognize myself. Even if I could get to that 180, which I didn't want to be for so long, but even if I could just get back to there, it would have been a miracle at the time. So no, I didn't have a number. I just didn't want to be where I was. And so how much did you end up losing finally with your new technique that you tried? So I went in two stints because I got pregnant again. So, you know, all of the first weight loss happened, started around six months after I had my first son. So... Between the six months after having him, over that course of that year, I lost about 90 pounds. And then I got pregnant with baby number two. Thankfully, I did not go back to eating all the junk food. I was still eating healthier foods. I did put on weight. But the good thing is, even though I was older and they told me that I was guaranteed to have gestational diabetes, I actually didn't this time. So even though I was older, they told me that I would have it. I was actually able to avoid it because I was eating more real foods and I was doing more light exercising instead of the over-exercising I used to do. But once I had him, I still have weight to lose. So that was another process that took about a year and I lost another 65 pounds. But if you're counting from the top to bottom, I started out you know, after my first pregnancy at 245. And then my lowest weight that I ever hit was 135. So top to bottom, 110 pounds. Wow. And you'd never imagined you would lose 110 pounds, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it wasn't even a goal for me. I didn't think it was realistic. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you know, this is one thing that I always point to people is that it's a very individualized approach when it comes to weight loss. Something that may not work for you may work for somebody else. For example, you tried these approaches and they did not work well for you, but they may have worked well for other people. And so what we say is that if you are finding success with something that's working well for you, try and stick to that. Try and see what you're finding success with. But if you're not finding success with uh, a certain specific type of a diet plan or your nutritional plan or exercise, or whatever, then try and see what else is out there so that you can experiment with other things in a safe way in conjunction with the consultation with your physician to see what will work for you and try and see what is going to be sustainable for you for the long run because this is a long, long journey. It's not a one-time process. You just have to maintain that lifestyle, right? Yeah, so in 2018, I was actually featured in People Magazine in their annual 100 pounds down issue. So I was featured along alongside four other women. So we all lost over 100 pounds. And every single one of us had a different approach. Like there was one woman who did Weight Watchers, which I failed at so many times, but she lost more than 100 pounds like that. Another woman was eating six times a day, which is completely the opposite of intermittent fasting. But she was eating, you know, a lot of protein and vegetables six times a day, working out a ton. She lost over 100 pounds, you know, so there's just so many different ways to do it. And we are all successful. So that's good. So, you know, I'm sure everybody is waiting and eager to know how did you actually do it? So the biggest thing that changed for me, you know, when I was finally, because I was trying to lose weight for six months, nothing was budging. And I actually came across this book. It was called Kick Your Fat in the Nuts. And it's actually a weight loss book written by a former comedian. So I, I identify with it because I love comedy. <laughs> and so what he talks about in the book is going low carb, while also working to improve your digestion and also chemistry imbalances in the body. And when I read it, like the last thing I wanted to do was try low carb again, because I had tried it so many times for 20 years and it worked for me initially, but then I always fell off track. I couldn't stick with it for more than a few months. So it was like me, he was dragging me kicking and screaming back into low carb because I didn't want anything to do with it. And then he also talked about improving your digestion and chemistry imbalances with like foods that are specific for your body. So his motto is there is no one right diet for everyone. So you have to figure out what works for you. And so even though he takes a low carb approach, when it comes to digestion and chemistry imbalances, you have to figure out where you're at to know which supplements will work for you, their natural supplements, and also which foods will work for you. Because, you know, no matter which lifestyle you follow, what works for you won't work for me. So I went through this long process, followed the book. I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't think it would work for me. But that's actually the first time low carb ever actually worked for me because, you know, first of all, I worked on my digestion, which was huge, shifted my chemistry, which was also huge. But I also, this time with low carb, I took baby steps. So the previous me would have heard about keto and intermittent fasting, and I would have been all in. I would have just like jumped in, you know, started fasting for 18 hours or whatever, you know, started going really super low carb every day just to try to lose weight as fast as I could. And that never worked for me in the past. So this time I really started with baby steps and I took the low carb approach where I started where I was and I weaned my way off food slowly and I started making healthier swaps slowly over time. And that's what finally stuck because I was no longer just like, you know, going out and buying all the vegetables and promising I was going to eat all the vegetables because that didn't work in the past. So this time I still had some of my processed foods, but I would also add in some vegetables too to help wean myself off the junk this time instead of just trying to quit cold turkey. 
Yeah, I think that's very important to understand that it has to be a lifestyle change. It has to be a habit that has to form. So a lot of times if you take very drastic steps now, sometimes they can work for people taking drastic steps and maintaining them. But you have to actually give it a certain amount of time and certain amount of practice for you to actually develop and inculcate that habit into your daily life. And a lot of times if you try to overcomplicate things, that makes it even more difficult for you to really incorporate it in your life because all of us are really busy. So it has to be something that works with your lifestyle as well right? Yeah. And so the eventual pattern, I started with low carbon digestion and the eventual pattern I followed was keto and intermittent fasting. So I took baby steps to do all of that. But like you said, keeping it simple because, you know, a lot of people in the keto world, they'll look at foods as like, that's not keto or that's keto. And they just, I don't know where they're pulling it from because ketogenic is like, it's a state of your metabolism. It's not really a foods. There are no foods that are keto, you know? So it's just for me, instead of like identifying certain foods as bad or good, I found the foods that would work for my plan based on their carbs and based on their ingredients. Those were my two criteria. Like I didn't look at certain foods as off limits because someone made up a random rule and told me they were. <laughs> like that's just too complicated trying to keep track of all the foods people think should be off limits that might work for someone else. Right. And so do you measure your macros? Do you keep a tab on how many carbs you're eating or how many grams of carbs you're taking in? Yeah, when I first started, the low carb plan that I followed was 25 grams of carbs per meal. And then you could have a couple snacks with like 15 grams of carbs. So, you know, it was low carb, like 100 to 150 grams a day. And I would write in a journal. And that was like the one thing that really kept me on track was I know because I used to try to write in journals in the past and I would put calories and fat and protein and, you know, what I did to burn off those calories. And it was just too complicated. So I wouldn't stick with it. But when I would just write down the food I was eating and the approximate carbs that were in it, so I get to that around 25 gram range, I kept it that simple. And, you know, that's finally what kept me stuck with it because it was easy to write down. But also the act of just writing down what you're eating. I think it gives people like 50% better results. There's studies that show that. And for me, it actually did. That's the thing that kept me on track. So I really only kept track of carbs when I first started out. Once I went keto, I had to add more fat to it. But, you know, still, as long as I just kept track of like 20 or 30 grams of carbs per day and I just ate to feel good, that's really all the tracking I needed to do. Right. And how was this time different than when you tried Atkins? So the biggest difference for me in the past when I did try Atkins, you know, I was just in it for the numbers. I wasn't eating real food. So they had like all these Atkins diet bars, Atkins diet shakes, you know, any like the candies where they use all these junky artificial sweeteners and they tell you that they're low carb, but you look at the label, they're really not. But, you know, marketing tries to fool you. And so I was eating all of these processed foods because they fit into my carb range, but they're processed foods. So they weren't doing anything to help me. Yeah. And that's the other thing that, you know, we always talk about eating real foods and not a lot of ultra processed foods because they, like you had mentioned, that you had developed an addiction for these junk foods and this is which is very easy to get with all of the ultra processed foods that are available in the market. So what do you think were your struggles? I mean, everybody has struggles. I'm sure you must have had your struggles in your weight loss journey, the low carb approach and that you were having. So what were your struggles with that? You know, it's funny because like one thing is before I started this, 
I was also an over-exerciser, so I started exercising when I was like 12, and you know, once I turned 18, I'd get in the gym, I started doing that, and I would do cardio upwards of two hours a day some days, and I did not concentrate on weights, which, you know, weight resistance training, which now I know is a bad thing, so I was just way over-exercising, and so it was actually hard for me to not over-exercise like that. So that was one thing that changed for me. You know, now I love good walks. I love good moderate exercise, but I no longer try to exercise to burn calories. Like I exercise now to feel healthy and to stay healthy, but it's no longer about calories in versus calories out. So it kind of was a struggle for me to exercise less. And I always tell people that I actually eat more and exercise less in order to maintain my weight. People don't believe me, but it's actually true because, you know, back when I was dieting, I would eat like 12, 1300 calories and I would struggle and I would exercise for like two hours a day and I just struggled hardcore. These days I eat somewhere between like 2000, some days 2400 calories and I exercise maybe three to four days a week and, you know, it's just easy now. So I kind of had to like flip and reverse all of the knowledge that I've been taught for so long. I had to do my own research and learn what worked for my body. So, right having that in place to help your body start to crave that naturally because it's it realizes you know you're eating broccoli but once it realizes that you're getting nutrients from the broccoli you're going to start to crave that and that's the other thing is just getting rid of these sweetened foods these like highly processed artificially sweetened foods that's another thing to get rid of cravings because you know these artificial sweeteners are what, like two to six hundred times sweeter than like natural sugar found in berries. So if you keep drinking diet soda, you keep drinking artificially sweetened drinks, it's going to keep your cravings high for sugar because you're promising your body the sugar fix and you're never delivering it. You're just delivering chemicals. So that's another thing is getting rid of the sweetened foods and just stopping to eat it. So, you know, like every time you have a cookie, your body realizes that quick energy fix it gets from it and you're going to crave it. But if you just, you know, get rid of the cookies and concentrate on real food, the more you stay away from those processed foods, the less you'll crave it. And do you keep a tab on whether you're in a state of ketosis or do you just go by the way you feel? So when I first started doing ketosis, it is important to measure with blood because there's different ways to measure. They're not really all that accurate. So I did have a ketone meter just so I could learn you know, when I was in ketosis and when I wasn't, but a lot of people really only need to use that method for maybe a few months tops. And then you just start to feel it. You just start to know like you have this extra energy. And when you're not in ketosis, you just don't really feel that great. You might feel a little bit more tired. So now I mostly go by my body. I might test like, you know, if I want to see, I just like numbers. If I want to see if something kicks me out, I might test it. But there's actually times now, because I've been keto for so long, that I don't want to remain in ketosis indefinitely. There's times that I actually want to bring myself out just to stay metabolically flexible. And it's really hard for me to come out of ketosis. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing it for so long. Right, right. And I'm sure, you know, having a ketogenic diet is not easy because you really need to change. We are living in a carb-heavy world, right? And a lot of people around us are going to be eating carbs. So how do you accommodate this with your life and with your family? So it's definitely all about being prepared. When I first started, it was seven years ago. There were definitely a lot less options then. But now you walk into the store, they have a lot of foods that are labeled keto. I wouldn't necessarily trust all those, you know, unless it's like a real food, because a lot of those are just marketing to you. But, you know, you just need to figure out what works for you and just keep it in stock. Take it with you, because there are a lot of chances that you're not going to find the best options if you're out traveling. 
As far as my family's concerned, like my husband also eats keto, so that's really easy. And I, I'm blessed to have one son who loves my cooking. He loves everything I make. Even if we do go out, he'll get mad that it's not my cooking. So I'm very blessed with that because <laughs> I am not blessed with a very, very picky eater who is basically anti-keto because he doesn't even eat meat. He doesn't want vegetables. He doesn't basically want anything that I do. So it's still a work in progress. And, you know, we try to help him the best that we can, but he's super picky. <laughs> yeah, that can be difficult with kids, right? So, Nissa, tell me, did you quit sugar cold turkey or did you kind of gradually decrease the amount of sugar that you were eating? So I definitely took baby steps and decreased it. I never really looked at it like I was cutting sugar because I was just cutting carbs, which all carbs are turned into sugar in your body. So I was lowering carbs slowly. I started with that 25 carbs per meal plan. And a lot of the carbs that I was eating weren't ideal. So I was still eating white pasta or white bread. But the difference was I was just eating less. So instead of having a full serving of pasta, I would measure out only half a serving. And then I might add extra meat sauce on top of it to fill in my hunger. Or if I was having a sandwich, I would do it with only one slice of bread bread, or maybe have a small handful of chips. So taking, you know, starting where I was and taking baby steps really helped it make it into an easier lifestyle for me. You know, and then once I was ready, I took away the bread completely and I took away the pasta completely and I started replacing it with healthier options. If I were to just jump into that overnight, I probably would have stuck with it for a week or two max because, you know, my body was just addicted to those foods and I needed to wean myself off slowly. So, you know, with keto, the thing is that you have to have a, a large amount of fat and you have to have more protein compared to carbohydrates. Now, proteins give a similar amount of calories per gram like carbohydrates, but fats give a higher amount of calories per gram. So you definitely need to watch out for that. You do not want to overdo that because calories also do play a role in all of this. Did you encounter any of that problem or did you were you not considering calories at all or was it just about the carbohydrates or were you taking into account the calories also? So for someone like me who has such an extensive diet history, I actually needed to teach my body to eat more calories. And I unfortunately, I find this is the case with a lot of women because they're following diets that are 1,200, 1,100, 1,000 calories. And this is what my toddler eats in a day. You know, he's, he's a big toddler, but, you know, he's still 50 pounds. So that's enough to sustain him. But for most women, it's just not enough. And so I find that they're actually breaking down their metabolism and they just have to keep going lower if they want to keep seeing results. So the good thing about keto is you get to eat to satiation. But like you said, you don't want to stuff it in. Like if, you know, if you have high fat macros, say I tell you to eat 150 grams of fat, but you can only get in 100 without feeling too full, you need to listen to your body and you need to stop. But at the same time, like I said, I had to double what I was eating in order to lose weight, which it sounds so counterintuitive, but my body was in a famine mode for so long. You know, I was just holding on to all my stored fat because I wasn't giving it the nutrients that it needed in order to thrive. So it wasn't until I could start breaking down those nutrients and giving it more nutrients that I actually let go of weight. So it sounds really counterintuitive, but for me, I actually had to eat a lot more. So I never really was concerned about calories. Basically, the only thing I ever did was I made sure to keep my carbs low. And then with fat and protein, I just ate to feel good. I never overate. I never stuffed it in. But, you know, I never went to bed hungry like I did so many times with low-calorie diets. 
You know, that's very important because you have to really be satiated whenever you're following something because that's one thing that's going to make your lifestyle sustainable. If you're constantly going to be hungry, then it's not going to be an ideal thing for you and you will not be able to sustain it. So it is really important to understand. I completely agree with you. Sometimes actually increasing your food intake might help you as well, but it has to be the right foods. It cannot be the wrong foods that you're increasing the intake of. And this we see fairly commonly because with the calorie in calorie out model, what ends up happening is you're trying to really limit the amount of calories regardless of where they're coming from. But it's important to understand that when you start replacing foods as foods, like uh, whatever processed, ultra-processed foods that you have with the, the unprocessed foods, the natural foods that are available, that is actually much better for you. They're more satiating and you feel much more full with either the same amount of calories, even a little bit more. And they're overall better for you to get you to a healthier self. Yeah. And I think that's the important part is it has to be real food. Like none of this stuff that I'm doing, eating more and exercising less would work. If you're focusing mostly on processed food, it's not going to work because your body's not getting the nutrients it needs. So you're never going to feel full. So if you keep eating to feel full because you're eating processed foods, it's not going to work. But if you're eating real food that gives your body the nutrients it's craving, that's when your hormones start to balance and you start to feel that sense of fullness and you can keep eating until you feel good. Right. So I know that you have a podcast called Chat the Fat. So tell us about that. How did that come about? Yeah, so it's actually the author that I found from Kick Your Fat in the Nuts. His name is T.C. Hale. I basically followed his book. I even put my dog on his diet and she had a lot of success. Um, not with the digestive supplements, but just eating less carbs and more protein. And so, you know, I, I got in touch with him and I let him know all the success that I had and my dog had, and he kind of loved it. So we stayed in touch over the years and we actually started working together. So now we have a membership, we have courses, we have a bunch of stuff together, and we actually have a podcast together called Chat the Fat. And so we talk about things like keto, intermittent fasting, low carb. And of course, he's like the king of digestion. He loves to talk about poop. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we talk about all things digestion because, you know, he's just a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, so we have that. It comes out every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then we also throw the video version up on YouTube every Wednesday. Yeah, I'm going to put the links in there. Well, this has been a fun and interesting episode and actually very inspirational. Uh, I think this is great that, you know, this is that you've lost over 100 pounds and who would have thought, right? You never imagined that you would, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, listeners, I'm looking for more inspiring stories like this one. And if you have want to share, please email me at host at decodingobesity.com. And I want to remind you all that you're not alone in your weight loss journey. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Nissa, for joining us and sharing your story. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time. <laughs>